Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right. Welcome, uh, listeners, to episode 35 of the Asking Why podcast with Clint Davis. We have today Lisa Thompson, who is the one of the vice presidents on the executive team of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. NACOSI is the short that we'll be using. Um, she's also the director of the Research Institute there. Um, so welcome, Lisa. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast. Thanks for having me, Clint. Nice to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking a little bit before, so tell me um, a little bit about how, well, tell us what Nicosi is, and then we'll get into your story. Yeah, sure. We're a nonprofit organization. We're based in D.C., and we are really focused on exposing the connections between all forms of abuse and sexual exploitation. Um, and we work on a really wide swath of, of, of uh, sexual abuse and exploitation issues. So if everything from uh, child sexual abuse, child on child harmful sexual behavior, compulsive sexual behaviors, demand for sexual exploitation, illicit massage businesses, image-based sexual abuse, institutional sexual abuse, men's violence against women, um, public health harms of pornography, sex trafficking, you know, sexual assault. I mean, more, there's more, like there's just right. so many things. So <clears throat> for a bit insane, like, people might think that's, it's crazy. Sometimes I think we are because generally as organizations, you know, if you read management books, they tell you to try to have a, a more narrow focus. Um, but we have kind of just adopted a, a different philosophy and feel like um, there were issues that were not getting brought to the fore um, connections that were not being made because people weren't looking at these issues, you know, with as, as, as a really broad holistic um, perspective. So that's what we we're trying. I think that's really our niche in this whole space yeah. um, is looking at these issues broadly and trying to help point out intersections between them. Yeah, I mean, y- y'all have a great systemic model where you're, you're kind of looking at the family as a whole, right? So I'm a systems therapist person. So if I have one person in my office, I always treat it as if there's multiple people here, whether they're here or not. And so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, you know, you're looking, let's say you're looking at the massage issue, right? Well, you know that porn, porn ties into that, you know, that um, trafficking ties into that, you know, that um, child abuse ties into that, you know, all, all of those things, they all overlap. And without one, you don't have the others. Yeah, so that, that's what you've, you've said it so well. It is taking looking at these things as systems um, and recognizing that one is often a stepping stone to another or that the D lines of demarcation are actually really fuzzy sometimes or not these bright dividing lines between different forms of abuse that, that we maybe traditionally have, have thought of. Um, so actually a colleague and I were just talking about that today on issues relating to pornography and prostitution. Um, you know, and that there's, there's, I mean, we actually take the position that uh, pornography is a form of prostitution. Uh, but I think the way most people see it, you know, they've been very distinct things. But today with camming and uh, these online forms of pornography that people are <clears throat> like only fans. Yeah, like OnlyFans, where there's interaction, there's, you know, direction from the buyer. Like, I think people maybe can more clearly see how, um, you know, calling it pornography instead of prostitution, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. It's it's an online form of prostitution. No, definitely. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, because of technology um, and the changes in technology at such a rapid rate, that these kind of philosophies and ideas that we've had for years that are, I mean, and would you say, I know on our end, so for listeners, you know, I'm also the director of recovery for purchase, not for sale, which we work with women and children and men out of human trafficking. And then Lisa, we always, we also just started this last year doing uh, John schools. 
So I wrote a curriculum uh, with Cassie Hammett, uh, one of our the founders of our uh, ministry. And so we partnered with the DA. And so guys who are first-time or second-time offenders, um, they can come to our program and they learn about trafficking. They learn about what it's like from the, the victim, from the prostitute, from the trafficked perspective, mm-hmm. what they're actually buying, you know, that these girls start in the system at as young as 12, that they typically have sexual abuse before three, you know, these, these stats that I know you know. Um, and then I go into what is sexual addiction? What is sexual trauma? Why are you here? You know, what that I always say, you know, in the beginning of the talk, like, I think that if you had the information we're about to give you, you wouldn't have done what you did. You know, that we don't see you as a monster, but we see you as somebody who is in need of help as well. And then we do, um, out of that demand, we do what's called a disruption ministry. So we partner with the FBI and we, um, we have like four or five computers on Thursday nights. We meet up, they put a, they put an out out on back page. I'm sure you've heard about this. Um, and then they, and then we, um, get texts and calls in from guys trying to buy prostitutes. And we try to interrupt that process, give them resources, you know, give them a first chance, you know, things like that. So when you say demand, like I totally am all about that because, you know, should probably also clarify that I mean sex buyers. I know not everybody understands what we mean by the, the term demand. Yeah. Like what's demand got to do with um, you know sexual exploitation? But we're just talking about the consumer level uh, demand that, and in this case, male sex buyers who drive a lo- you know so many forms of sexual exploitation, like the pornography industry, like sex trafficking, prostitution, illicit massage, bro- you know, uh, businesses, etc. Can you break that um, down for people? Just talk yeah. about demand a little bit. Yeah, so basically we're just talking, we're talking about overwhelmingly men who are consumers of, and and traditionally I think a lot of the folks who've been working in this space have been talking about demand for prostitution, which generates the demand for sex trafficking. So you have men who want to go and, um, you know, pay for sex and they, you know, go to the wherever in the past, you know, your red light district in the, you know, some CD part of town. Um, and that those are the people who drive the prostitution marketplace. No matter where it is in the world, the people who drive it are the people who are purchasing, making the choice to purchase other people for sex. That's the choice that drives the entire enterprise. So our which philosophy- is the supply, right? Yeah. But- yeah, which, which means, you know, <clears throat> so never sufficient supply. So therefore you have individuals who act as the quotes, you know, so-called distributors. The, you know, that's a fancy way of talking about pimps and sex traffickers. Yeah. You know, pimps are functional equivalents of sex traffickers. They recruit, they harbor, they provision and obtain people using force, fraud, and coercion for purposes of sexual exploitation. So pimps are sex traffickers, and they are just, you know, coming in to fill the gap that may exist in supply. Uh, because there's never a sufficient supply, unfortunately, because demand um, seems like an ever-present problem and growing problem. So our approach is really we're having a big, um, Nicosi is really concerned about this issue and wanting to have a major focus on demand, uh, because we really feel like this is the prevention strategy for so much of the sexual harm that is going on around the world. If we can change male sex buying behavior we can deter it, prevent it, um, then, you know, untold amounts of trauma are not going to happen. Yeah. You know, untold amount of trafficking won't happen if we can engage men, um, help them see why it's harmful, help them to see why this isn't even authentic connection and they, they deserve better. I mean, of course the women deserve better, but they deserve real relationships too. Absolutely. And, not just these fake casual throwaway things that society has sold everybody. So um, if your listeners might be interested in um, a project that we're working on at the Research in- uh, Institute at Nicosi. We have a website that was actually created by another group, but they um, decided they wanted to uh, didn't want to maintain it anymore. So we have taken on management of a website called Demand Forum. And um, demand form is all about methods to deter demand for paid sex. Mm-hmm. So many of them are law enforcement centric. 
Um, but there's also some community-based approaches where people might, you know, do outreach in their community or organize at a community level um, that's not, you know, tied in with law enforcement. But it, it outlines a typology of methods that have been used across the country to combat demand for paid sex and um, gives information about where they've been implemented in communities all across the country. So we're like well over, um, I think 2000, more than 2,200 communities that we've documented where they have taken some form of um, action to deter demand. So we are presently um, working on a federal grant to expand the website, update the website, because it had gotten um, a little out of date. So we're working on updating it, adding um, information about some of the new tactics that are being used to deter demand. Uh, for instance, um, uh, a lot of the new technology-based approaches, kind of like what you were talking about just now, um, where you know, whether the uh, groups might be using fake ads online or now though there's groups that are actually moving into using bots. Yep. Um, are these forms of artificial <laughs> intelligence that can communicate with uh, with potential buyers, have conversations with them, flag the really serious looking ones to law enforcement, and um, you know potentially um, convince men that they should think again before they try to buy a person. Yeah. We've seen great results. I mean, it, it's been amazing to, you know, to see that, you know, like you said, these, these guys are, although at the time they're the perpetrator, right. As you hear their stories. And as I worked with these men, you know, I see that they're just as much a victim of the culture and of the neglect and the abuse and the trauma as the women. It just plays out differently because of, you know, obviously strength and power and system, systemic problems. But I mean, all the guys that I see and have treated and have worked with, you know, they started viewing porn before eight. They had mm -hmm. sexual abuse in their background. They have unhealthy, you know, relationships with their mothers. There's kind of this pattern of what creates a person who would, mm -hmm. you know, who would buy sex. And um, and so I think it's, it's in order to to beat demand you know, in some ways we have to educate people on, on learning how to be a little empathetic towards the person who's also the, uh, the buyer instead of seeing them as a monster. Um, although they need consequences and there needs to be accountability, um, in order to heal that person so they don't do it again, we actually have to understand them. Oh, I'm so glad you used the word accountability. I, that's, I think that's such a, a powerful word and, and it's so true that we need account to hold the, the people, the men who are buying others for sex, we need to hold them accountable. And that's been largely lacking <clears throat> in all across the country. I mean, even though we're documenting places where they are implementing some demand or have at one point in time implemented some kind of demand deterrence, um, typically it's not, sometimes it's not sustained. Uh, or other times it might be, you know, it, it's just, it, well, like, like the, yeah, not sustained, not generally as um, concerned about, like there are a lot more attention put on, you know, arresting the victims yep. as opposed to dealing with the ones who are driving the exploitation. So um, creating accountability for buyers is definitely front and center in our agenda at Nicosi, how we can, you know, increase penalties to hold buyers more accountable. Uh, of course, we want to see them get help. Uh, but, and, and I totally agree with you that there's a lot of things, like there's a way in which the society kind of works as a super groomer, uh, particularly the exposure yeah, to that's pornography. That's such a great word, yep. <clears throat> like, you know, basically making the on-ramp so that they become exploiters in a way. But at the end of the day, they are the ones that have the the real choice in the situation and are you know generally are operating from a position of privilege right. uh, compared to those who they're exploiting who typically come from you know like you were talking about uh, um, situations of childhood sexual abuse in their past or economic vulnerability a lot of there's you know really skewed racial demographics that go on when you look at when you start looking under the you know, un uncovering the layers of this issue, you'll find that predominantly victims are uh, from minority groups, you know, black and brown um, groups. So, uh, yeah, so holding them accountable, you know, I, I have empathy for them and, uh, maybe not empathy is the right word, sympathy is the right word, yeah. but um, I, and I agree totally that it's not constructive to, you know, frame them as monsters 
Um, typically, these are people who we're working side by side with, who we might know um, from our workplaces, from our places of worship, even tragically sometimes our own families. Yeah. So these are people who are known as <clears throat> others. Um, and for whatever reasons, you know, there's lots of different reasons guys get into this, but um, they need help, but they need to be held accountable for the harm that they cause. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The charges and, you know, the, the fluctuation in fees and how much it is. I mean, sometimes it's a very, you know, a gentle slap on the wrist and sometimes it's, you know, the, that's the problem, right? Is it's the inconsistency of that accountability, what they're required to do afterwards. And, you know, and here in Treeport, I mean, that's why I love that they have the John school option. They have to come and show up, face us, face the other men in the group. And you're right. It's like, it's crazy. We show up at seven 30 in the morning and it's like, Lexus beat up pickup truck, you know, Mercedes. And then it's like, you know, such a cross denomination, uh, denomination cross the well, that too, uh, ethnic, yeah. ethnic group, um, socioeconomic status. It, it just, I always say, you know, there's not many middle upper class people who are going to be smoking crack, but you know, but sexual exploitation and sexual, you know, things, they cross all denominations and culture and socioeconomic status. And so it's an interesting, uh, thing to be working with the man for sure. Yeah. So, um, you, your comments made me think about there, there is some evidence to show that men with higher incomes have a slight, are more likely to be buyers mm -hmm. um, than, than lower income. I mean, I think there's still, you know, um, low income, um, buyers don't get me wrong, but there's, there was a slight up to increased likelihood that the guys would be making over a hundred thousand. Yeah. And that may, that makes sense within uh, the sexual addiction. So I'm a certified sex addiction therapist. And one of the things that we see is that, yeah, who ends up being sex addicts the most are doctors, lawyers, you know, mm -hmm. men of upper because they, it fits with their performance and their insecurity and their trauma. Um, low, wow. low warmth in the household, but high demand for performance. They end up, you know, getting addicted to pornography early on and exposed to that. Like you said, I love that idea of society being the super groomer because it's so true. And then by the time they become a teenager, they have this addiction, this trauma that's fueling now power and authority and privilege that just opens the door for exploitation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now I know we've been talking a lot about demand and no, other good. Stuff. our conversations kind of taken a, a curve from where we were planning. So I don't know if you want to come back or you just want to keep going. Or no, it's good. I, I just wanted to kind of, I plan stuff and the podcast never goes exactly where I want it to, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah. I like to leave room for the Holy Spirit, in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, let's, I mean, I think we covered demand pretty good and people can go look up more of that and just see, I think what I'd like to leave people with is just demand is for all of us to take a, you know, if you're a man, if you're a woman and you're a part of that, right? We're not saying, you know, men are worse than women. We're saying that based on our system and based on the thing, it, it, it happens to be that men are the ones that buy the most. Um, they're also victims. They also have trauma. They also need treatment, but they also need accountability and we need to see buying and exploiting people as, as a major problem that needs major consequences, not a trivial thing. Yeah. Um, so you put it so beautifully. Yeah. It's not a trivial thing to buy another person. No. <laughs> use them, you know, like you just use them like a masturbatory tool. Like it's, it's so terrible. And, and another thing that you were just saying, I think makes so sense. We're not saying men or women, you know, men are worse than women or anything, which is that in this particular issue, it historically has been so predominantly driven by male behavior now, but this gives me an opportunity to make a segue Clint and talk about, um, something that I think could be, that's something I think could be changing it with and particularly as the next few years go by, uh, we're seeing more and more young women as consumers of pornography and given the way that pornography is consumed these days, a lot more of it's becoming interactive. It's on you know, these platforms where you pay uh, to subscribe to somebody, you can um, tip them, you can direct them to do things. And we know that more and more girls are watching on a regular basis. So, um, and the thing is that there's a connection between consuming pornography and, and, and sex buying. Mm -hmm. So for some young women, this could potentially start leading to, I think, a, a, a rise in our, you know, maybe we're going to start seeing more women as buyers. But for now, I mean, I think it's safe to say that the majority of those who consume others, buy other people for sex are males. But I am concerned about the potential for 
kind of something that really hasn't existed much before, which is, you know, an actual, perhaps measurable portion of women becoming um, sex buyers. Yeah. I mean, so let me just talk about why for just a second, um, since that is kind of our focus. So I think part of the problem is just a, a biological factor of men having testosterone and being more visual and, and women not having that same biology, meaning, um, if, a if you're a spouse, like if you're married to a man and, and you're married to a woman, right? Opposite genders. And they send you a nude picture of themselves and they're a male. Most women would say, I don't really want care about that or want a picture of a husband's penis. Um, but if, if a guy, if a woman sent their husband a picture of them nude, right, there's going to be a visual biological stimulation. And so I say all that to say pornography is so much more. It's not that men are like more gross or more sexually um, perverse. It's that the biology that they have makes them more susceptible to things based on this kind of cultural grooming that you're, you're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, that's an interesting thing you raised. I haven't really dug into that a whole lot. I, I've heard that many times that, you know, men are very visually, um, you know, oriented and that visual stimulation um, really triggers a response uh, right away. But I, I think, you know, I, I know like, for instance, at our, our conference, we hold a conference annually, just finished last week, the, the Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit. You know, there are women who are struggling with pornography addiction themselves. So I, I guess part of what I'm saying is that I think traditionally that what you're saying has been the case, but because we've, our whole society is shifting to become a visually oriented yes. society. Yes. So we're very image driven, you know, all the, so, the social media sites, the Instagram, the Pinterest, the Facebook, right? It's pictures, 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 pictures. Um, so, and then of course the pornography is very, you know, it's pictures and film videos. So that, and, and you, you're consuming this on a, it's overstimulating the brain. We're, con, we're consuming it via screens. It's, it's, um, we know that visual uh, stimulus is a very powerful stimulus to the brain. So it is sucking in women. Absolutely. Which is, didn't, you know, really wasn't met part, was basically not thought of. <laughs> 30, 40 years ago. I'd say like 12 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. crazy. So many, you know, young women are, uh, are consumers of pornography now. And yeah, I think it's fact, 36% or something increase. Yeah. I just heard a stat last week, which I, I could, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I, I was just gobsmacked. The, um, the, and this was from a, a, a neuro, a neuroscientist. So, I mean, this is not some half baked stat. Yeah. Um, they were, they had, published a study looking at prevalence rates of pornography use among young people and the monthly check monthly checking in with pornography site among adolescents was higher was one percentage point higher for girls than boys yep i was like what yeah I, it, I it's, what in, I it's insane yeah and so yeah just to just to wrap that conversation up so when i'm when i'm saying the biological thing it's like it's it's the susceptibility to that but the problem yeah. that we're having that let's say 11 years ago, that was true. And so we saw men who bought prostitution, who watched pornography, who got magazines. And for women, it's like, eh, that's not really a thing for me. But yes, once the phone came into existence and what technology came into existence and once access was the same, you had this huge increase in boys in the beginning and men. But then you because women and girls have been having smartphones and seeing Instagram and seeing pornography, Number one, I think watching it so they can keep up with what their boyfriends and their and their husbands want. And then once they watch it and get interested in it and exposed to it on a multiple time level, then yeah, all of us are cavemen and women. So we just we can't beat it. You know, that dopamine that, that we get from pornography and that addiction that can quickly come in. And right, that's set up on top of a bunch of kids who already come from divorce, who already have trauma, who already have attachment issues, who are already kind of primed to when they get this immediate connection, fake connection of pornography for it to be, you know, an addiction right off the bat. So I think you're right. I think that's why we've seen the huge uptick in women and young girls is because little boys are getting their sex education from pornography. And so I, I hear it all the time in my office where a girl will come in crying because her boyfriend broke up with it, her because he wouldn't let her do X, Y, and Z. And the boy doesn't know any better because he just thinks that's how sex goes. 
you know, he's wanting to do this either very violent or very graphic or very abusive, what we would say is adult, healthy adults thing, but he's just seeing it as, well, that's what they do in porn. That's what you do with sex. That's how you have sex. And, and the girls are going, well, I guess I got to do that if I'm going to keep this relationship. And it's just a mess. Yeah, it's a real mess. Um, I think part of, you know, what we're ta- what we're kind of shifting towards is the, the issue of escalation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people get exposed, particularly, you know, kids, they're getting exposed. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Um, so just for all your listeners, any viewers out there who think, oh, it's not my kid, my kid is good, and they wouldn't do that. It's not about how good your kid is. We know your kid is good. Amen. The fact is, is that there's a society that's targeting your child, who's a businesses who are all about getting access to your child and turning them into a pornography consumer. There's their peers are going to be seeing it. Their classmates, their, their buddies, um, at sports. Um, there's, it's not if it's when they will be exposed. And so the, the thing is, is to have a be working now, laying the groundwork now, so that when that happens, you can have the right conversations that you can prepare your child to respond to when they see pornography and not be caught up in the shame cycle that will lead them into addiction. Uh, but they would actually have a built-in defense mechanism if you start working with your children when they're young. Yeah. Um, so laying that groundwork. No, that's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, that's, I mean, I've been speaking all over the place uh, about that. So I'm, I'm super excited that to nerd out with you and, and have somebody else to be you know, preaching that preaching the same thing. It's, you know, our listeners are definitely going to be like, yes, this is what we've been talking about. Um, oh. We just did two podcasts about, uh, I think six or seven episodes ago. And if you haven't listened to it and you're listening to this one, go back. And I basically kind of take an hour to walk everybody through a zero to six year old uh, dialogue, seven to 12 year old, and then 13 to 18. And just, you know, where are they at developmentally? Um, what are they being exposed to? Why should you be using the word penis and vagina? You know, those kind of things to show them, like, you can't start the conversation about masturbation at 14. Did you happen to bring up the book, Good Pictures, Back Pictures? I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Actually with, uh, I think I can't remember who I emailed with, but she's trying to get me in touch with the writer and I'm going to try to have her on here. Yeah. Kristen. Yeah. uh, good friend of ours at the cozy and her organization defend young minds is just fantastic. And we highly recommend the book, good pictures, bad pictures. And yeah. Bring it all over the place with me. <laughs> brain defense. Um, yep. um, helping kids. So great. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, what's the other one? Protect young eyes. Um, uh, it's, it's a good app that kind of takes parents through how to talk about it and, so yeah, I'm I'm super excited that you know the prevent. I think that's the sad part. It's it's the the prevention is so doable. You know we can do it as a culture. We can prevent these things for our kids um, with just a few steps. It's not like the conversation really overwhelms parents. Um, I was on the Brainy Moms podcast last Thursday, and we were t- there are two neuropsychologists that uh, that run Learning RX nationally. And, uh, and we were having this conversation and they were just like, Oh my gosh, we've never even thought about this stuff. And it's like, I get it. You know, if you're, if you do what we do, then it's just normal. And I'm sure Lisa, you find this, like your brain is not normal. (laughs) (laughs) My brain is not. I I would say it's not. I would agree with that. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My wife's like, what are you talking? Like, what do you do all day? Um, but you know, it's like you go to dinner and everything is, you know, you go to babysitters or you go to sleepovers and well, we don't do that, but you go to, you know, your friends are doing these things and, and your brain's like on a whole nother level about this stuff. So yeah, it's like, you don't want to know it, but you have to know it to be able to defeat it. Yeah. So it is, you know, there is, there does seem to be some reticence among parents. Um, there's just, you know, we were having some discussion about this at our, at our summit. It's hard, you know, it's hard not to get frustrated sometimes because it does seem like there's some willful just, ignorance or ego that comes into play when it's talking about when we're talking about these issues and protecting children like oh again like it wouldn't my kid wouldn't do that or but um and then it it, what generally happens is and it's too late right it does happen and then they're like oh yeah okay i made a mistake but by that point harm has come into the situation so it, it it is frustrating and it's hard um 
but I know there's a lot of really well-meaning parents who are trying really hard and are completely inundated and overwhelmed by how to protect their kids. And, you know, so there is the, 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 I mean, and I think if anybody, most people, parents are probably more cognizant of just the concern about somebody molesting their child, like in a more, you know, direct, like physical presence, right, right there, like somebody in their community or something, but they're not necessarily thinking about all the online potentials, potential for harm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I would challenge like what I see in my office is people are scared of it but they're, they're still not really preventing it very much because they don't, they don't want to talk about it and get the education. So it's like we're barely preventing what, – what's the stat now? Like one in three girls by 18 have been sexually abused and one in five boys. You know, that's what's reported. Well, I, I have an update for you okay. on that. So it's some recent – I was just checking. So I think the more, the more current stat would be one in five girls and one in 13 boys. And I'd be happy to send that to you, yeah, Clint. Yeah, please do. Where that comes from, so I'm not – um, no, that's yeah. good. I, I think, I think the shift is in the same way. And maybe you, you can catch me. If, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm reading a book right now, and it, it was talking about the the decline in sex in teenagers too. Right, that that kids aren't having as much sex, and people are like, great. And it's like, well, that's because they've moved it into this online, um, you know, Snapchat uh, sexting. Yeah pornography realm so i would say it's probably the same here maybe the stat on actual physical abuse has lowered but we don't need to be excited i mean we need to be excited that people aren't getting physically abused does that make yeah, sense it's it's it totally and i totally agree okay um like i i was mulling this over when i was you know kind of thinking about this talk we were going to have today and i was just like wow it you know, on the one hand, it looks good, but I really think that we're not counting um, the sexual abuse of children, like, appropriately. Yes, I, I agree. Mean, think about all the stuff that's going on, um, particularly in the online realms, where their abuse is happening and parents are oblivious. And we're not different kinds of abuse. So, for instance, just last week, I was connecting with a woman who was telling me about the um, rape of, of children's avatars in video games. Mm -hmm. Now I was floored. I work in this issue, you know, every day. I have worked in it for years. I mean, granted, I'm not on the and I'm not deep in the gaming issues or anything like that. But I, I had not heard of this, and she's telling us that this is happening to you know countless children that that predators operating in the gaming systems will lure them into certain rooms in these games and rape the child's avatar. And that the children are experiencing this as a rape. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they feel yeah. like their identity is so wrapped up, I suppose, in the game that they're taking this as an you know acute form of trauma. And she's talking to all these young girls online who are just completely um, devastated, you know, traumatized, traumatized over what's happening to this this persona yep. that they have online. Um, so th so that's happening. Another really concerning thing. Um, is the self-generated images, like we were talking about the sexting. So let's say they're even sexting among their peers. Well, the peer shares it. Um, another peer, another person uploads it to a pornography website. So mm -hmm. now it's it's literally, you know, consumable by anybody on these pornography sites. So for instance, the Internet, the Internet Watch Foundation is saying that there's been a huge uptick in what, what self-generated content that they're dealing with, that they're finding on these, the, um, the pornographic websites that they're uh, contending with all the time, that now a huge spike in self-generated content. Yeah. So that's not going to come under this heading of child sexual abuse. Uh, right. It's not going to fit the stat definition in this stat right but yet so you know it's so alarming to me that we're this, we've actually bred a generation of children who will produce their own sexual abuse images the pornographers don't even have to yeah the children will do it for them i know it's it's unbelievable um, and, yeah <clears throat> so and, you know and the other thing that's unbelievable is how many people take a really um just blase attitude towards the sexting issue 
I mean, I was at a national sexual assault conference where there was a, a, a woman giving a talk on um, sexting and just acted like, well, anybody who thought it was a problem was, um, had, was, was practicing ageism. It's just all you old people who are just too unhip and cool to understand that kids are going to sex each other and what's the big deal? Yeah. I mean, this is at a, at a sexual assault conference yep. like yeah. you would, where you would expect people to understand the trauma involved with these children when their images get distributed and they find themselves on a pornography site where everybody around the world gets to use them and there's nothing they can do about it. No, I know. Lisa, you're so right. It it is so crazy to be at conferences and on, I mean, I'm on listservs and, and, you know, symposiums and, and you're there and you're just looking like, you know, you got person has four heads because they're, they're not getting the systemic complex, you know, you know, it, it, it's so weird where we're moving in culture where the whole movement of like ageism and millennialism and all these things are like, yeah, there's some of that that's true or there's systemic issues that are true, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, oh, well, these kids, because they now have, like you were saying with the game. Okay, so let's talk about the avatar thing for people who don't know what that is. So an avatar is like your projected image of yourself in a game. So that these kids, like their Instagram handle, their Instagram page, their Facebook page, which they don't have anymore because it's not cool. Um, you know, they, they have grown up in a social media world where they project to the world who they are through these means, right? So their identity is wrapped up in what people see on Instagram and what people see through their avatar for gaming. And so a lot of girls play games, a lot of boys play games, eight, nine, 10 year olds, 11 year olds. And everybody knows them in their social network through these avatars. And so they get their worth and their connection through this. Now that's not, we're not saying any of that's good or appropriate or best for our culture, but that is the actual reality. And so for some strange adult to come on and to bring their character on and to rape this character or do something damaging to this character, it's for them, it's like it's damaging their identity. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, it's, it's, it's like their projected persona. You, you were saying it. I just, you said it so well. So, uh, so the, for listeners. Online. Yeah. So for listeners out there thinking about their kids or thinking about kids or our culture in general, it's not enough to just say, Oh, well that's how they are now. So therefore we just have to adapt what's right or wrong. There's still a truth, right? There's still a right or wrong. There's still an abusive situation going on. Just the, just because the culture's changed doesn't mean that truth has changed. Yeah. Boy, you hit that nail on the head. <laughs> it's frustrating. But I'm with you. You know, I had a mom in here a couple of weeks ago and we were taught her daughter had been abused. And so we we're talking through it and she had a 14 year old son. I said, well, you know, what's going on with him? Is he, you know, is he struggling? With she was like, oh, we watch his porn all the time. But that, I mean, that's what all boys do. And I said, you're right. Statistically, you know, all boys do watch porn. But the reality is, is that doesn't make it okay. You know, that that normal doesn't mean healthy. And I think, man, we've really moved in this this culture of, well, everybody's doing it and normal. It's normal for kids to ex, you know be on their phone or normal for kids to sex or normal for kids to. But we've forgotten that that doesn't mean it's healthy. Well, also, I imagine she's probably not very familiar with what pornography is like today. Oh, man. Please talk yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, it's not your 80s the- porn, right? It's not your 80s pornography. And I'm not, I don't mean to say that the pornography of the past was harmless. When I, when I'm making this, I'm not, because there was actually, there were violent, horrible types of pornography available in the 80s, in the 60s, it was there. But a lot of the more mainstream stuff was what today we would call vanilla or very, you know, it would be tame, yeah, softcore by comparison to what we see today. So there's, because of what happens when people consume pornography, they get desensitized. It's a natural process in the brain. When you get exposed to stimulus and you repeatedly expose yourself to that stimulus, your brain isn't going to react um, the same way. So you have to engage, you know, try to find something that's more exciting, something that's shocking, something that's upsetting, something that um, is surprising in order to get the, the, the pleasure that you're seeking. So this has meant the given rise to all kinds of just inconceivable previously uh, fetishized content and really the rise of really rough sex and torture sex practices that are completely going mainstream. And just an example, I'd say one of the more common practices that we're seeing um, 
happening is choking. Mm-hmm. Choking is completely unheard of as a sexual, as a mainstream sexual practice um, within the last, you know, the last 40 years. Now, c- totally mainstream. Young women are dying because men are, um, you know, choking them during sex. And then it's easy for them to pass it off as just saying, oh, well, it was just a consensual sex that went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been cases of this um, in the UK and New Zealand. And I imagine there's more. I haven't really dug into the issue here in the U.S., but um, folks are interested. Um, there's a woman who is a real expert in the phenomenon of, of choking and um, death, the, the femicide that results um, so at any rate, it's it's a it's a really concerning practice that's really going mainstream with our young people today, um, and that would be an example. Like, uh, more than likely, this woman's son has seen something. I wouldn't be surprised in oh, the absolutely. least. I wouldn't be surprised <clears throat> he's, he's seen things normalizing incest. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised in the least if he had seen things normalizing sexual assault. Um, we just reviewed a study that was out of the UK, which reported that um, one in eight titles, just the titles of pornography on one on the, the two of the bigger, more well-known pornography sites in the UK included overt references to sexual violence and exploitation. Mm-hmm. One in eight on the landing page. So this is the content that they're wanting you to see that they have total control over what's on their landing page. This is like advertising yep. for the pornography websites, primed real estate. Uh, so if you're a first time user to a pornography site, you say you're a nine year old boy who's landing on one of these websites. One in eight of the, of the thumbnails was going to have a title that referenced some form of sexual violence or exploitation. So how can this not be normalizing um, their their attitudes and, p- and potential behaviors uh, with future partners? Well, it 100% is, uh, Lisa. You're spot on. I mean it, and it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. Again, I think that's the science behind it. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are and how in real life you wouldn't want to do that. It becomes a thing that's unconscious that is built into your neuro network. And then when you're in the middle of sex, that comes out, you know? And so that's what I'm seeing is a a boy who's like, yeah, I watched it, but I would never want to do that. And then they end up having sex with a girl and it becoming violent or or graphic in a way, because that's the pathway that was built before they even interacted with another human. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So so there's like this before they even had their first kiss. Like, yeah, what? And, and what, what's there that's teaching them anything about tenderness or, you know, like, you know, what, whatever Intimacy. happened. To, yeah. Like whatever happened to holding hands and, you know, just the, the tender first kiss and, you know, or, or necking, like those things are out the window. Oh yeah. Like going to full sex and rough sex at that and stuff that will be, would be really appalling to your viewers. I'm sure. Oh yeah. No, I mean, all of this is uncomfortable to talk, listen to for people. I mean, I know it's not uncomfortable for me and you to talk about because we do it every day, but, but it's still like we have to disrupt this mentality that things are just okay. And that, you know, the porn that they're seeing, the, 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 I mean, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all of those things, Snapchat, all of them are full of toxicity and, um, and just a messaging to our kids that these things are okay. They're normal, you know, in some ways they're, they're healthy. Um, and yeah, it's creating, well, we don't know what it's creating yet. I think that's my biggest fear and my biggest push for the prevention piece that I'm trying to do is, um, and that you guys are trying to do is I said this the other day, you know, <clears throat> I've said on the podcast before, but the, where we're sitting right now, like all the things that we're talking about was created by men who barely had access to porn and the porn that they had access to was pretty vanilla compared to what we we're just talking about. And these were all men who saw this stuff, experienced this stuff in their teen years and their puberty years, and then became men who exploited people and created pornography systems and trafficking systems and all these things. What are these kids going to create in the next five to 10 to 15 years? I don't even want to contemplate the answer to that question. It's, it's, it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like, you know, I mean, we're going to keep fighting the fight and there is hope, but <clears throat> hope for those listening, you know, for the greater for the greater system, you know, 
I'm not sure how much hope there is. You know, I think we're going to see the consequences of it. All we can do is prevent it for as many people as possible. Well, along those lines, it made me think of a couple things I wanted to raise. One, again, to point back to the woman whose son was watching pornography, you know, some of the stuff he's watching invariably is involving sex trafficking victims yep. uh, and non-consensually distributed material that gets uploaded to these websites. So that's a really important point, I think, for everybody to understand because there's this assumption that, oh, well, these are just everybody's consenting and everybody just decided they wanted to do this. Well, the porn industry, number one, is, is built off the backbone of, you know, the very foundation of it is built on vulnerable and exploited young women who barely just turned 18, who are very naive, easy to manipulate, uh, lured in by promises of fame and money, um, often exploited by sometimes parents, by boyfriends, uh, who, you know, so-called consensually uh, agree. But then, you know, once they agree, years later, they can never do anything they want. To, they, can, they can't get it back. Like, they, they don't want to give consent anymore. But that one decision that they made when they're 18 or 19 years old, and it haunts them the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So you, there's... To, to, and to be clear, there's just there is plenty of force, fraud, and coercion within the pornography industry itself. There is absolutely no doubt is sex trafficking of people within the pornography industry. And then we have all kinds of, of people who have you know created intimate images that they shared with a partner, and then that gets not consensually shared and uploaded on these on these uh, websites. And then you've got all kinds of voyeuristic content that's being made where women have no idea that they're being filmed mm-hmm. in rooms, in toilets, in public spaces. Um, and all, this is a whole genre that exists within these pornography sites of, of the voyeuristic um, so-called spy cam um, yeah. pornography. So, there's, so that's the kind of stuff that a young boy is consuming today if he's on a pornography site and girls, as you were saying, you know, yeah, and girls. thank you for saying, for correcting me there for sure. And yeah. I so, just mean, that's the crazy part is like you said, I mean, the stat literally is that girls are viewing it more. Yeah. I was, I, I couldn't have, at least on this one study, sure. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a representative study as far as I know. I need to go. I just learned about it last week, so I haven't read it yet, but um, I, I was flabbergasted that there was a number that showed higher reusage of girls than boys. That that was totally. But, and uh, um, again, going back to, to our, I've been mentioning our conference quite a lot, which was the Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit. If people are interested, we are selling. Um, you can buy a pass to be able to access all the content from that. It's it's still on sale at a reduced price. Where can and they the find money, that? Um, if you go to our website, which was which is endsexualexploitation.org, endsexualexploitation.org, and you can find our the summit, which is the Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit, uh, be right there on our website. You can get a pass and check out. So you didn't really miss it. You can go back. <laughs> it was on Zoom, all, right? Yeah. Uh, well, is there was an app called um, Hoover okay. that we use. To it, but the videos are recorded and they end up like on a Vimeo site behind a paywall. Yeah. Um, so you can, everybody can access, if you buy a pass, you can access all the content we had this year. That's awesome. But it talks about, you know, all, all the stuff we've been talking about, Clint, we've, we had really robust presentations on. I think people would really get a lot out of it. But um, back to these pornography websites, the one thing I would say to give people some encouragement is that we are in the process of suing some of these websites, trying to hold them accountable to create some degree of justice for the victims. So I'm hopeful, you know, maybe if we talk again in a year or two years, Clint, that we might have some progress to report there. Um, but there have, I would say, from where we were a year ago to where we are now, I don't think anybody would have believed it was possible that we could have created the shift that we are currently experiencing in the um, pornography fight in that we have really taken the fight to Pornhub. Um, and folks might be familiar with the woman by the name of, of uh, Lila Micklewaite who has led a charge called Trafficking Hub, in which she has been calling out and calling out against the abuses and the extreme content and just 
exploitation of countless women and children and boys um, on Pornhub, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, owned by the company MindGeek, which is based out of Canada. So um, we were able to galvanize based on what Lila had started with a petition that got like over 2 million signatures. Um, there was then a big New York Times piece that was published last December by Nicholas Kristoff that was looking at the exploitation of children on um, these, these sites like Pornhub. So then the Canadian Parliament, its ethics, and, its ethics um, committee, did a special investigation um, into Pornhub, into MindGeek. It was the first time ever this company, which has been doing this stuff for over a decade. Yep. Okay, this like we've been beating our head <laughs> on a wall. This has been going on for over a decade. Nobody seems to. Everybody's pretending it's not happening. Like literal crime happening on a website. Um, but anyway, the Canadian Parliament has been has woken up to the issue. They did an investigation. They issued a really lengthy report. Uh, we were able to get the CEO of MindGeek and. Um, some of his associates, they actually were called to testify yep. before this committee. So they basically got them out of their hole in the ground somewhere. Like, seriously, these guys just kind of stay out of the, the light. You know, yeah, they couldn't even find the, I mean, I don't, I know his name, but I won't say it. Uh, but he, I don't want to give him credit. Um, but yeah, they couldn't even find that dude for a while. And everybody was kind of trying to figure out who is this guy, who owns it, who owns mine, like what's it a subsidiary of? And so, yeah, I read that all that stuff you guys wrote up and uh, the the New York Times thing too is I mean I love that so I'm um, hats off to you guys for you know really fighting this fight because it it's going to save a population of our culture's life yeah and I want to give a shout out to all the uh, firms that we're co-counsel with I don't want to give the impression that Nicosi's going it alone right um, yeah none of us all- are yeah, our law center is partnering with various other law firms in, in some of these lawsuits that, um, around the country. So just wanted to give them a shout out. And anyway, we're really excited, um, hopeful that, that that's really going to make a difference. And we also have a big, really important lawsuit against Twitter, again, for a situation where a boy's images were um, first um you know, they were, there was sexting and then they were uploaded on Twitter and Twitter wouldn't take them down and it had hundreds of thousands of views and they just refused to take them down for quite a period of time. So we're like, hey, enough. And so our one of our legal counsels will be arguing that court, uh, I think arguing that in court um, just in a couple of weeks. Right. So we're so excited. It's a really, really huge case. People can... Um, um, follow us on our website at nsexualexploitation.org to keep up with what's happening with the law center and all of our lawsuit efforts. Yeah, but, definitely. Twitter. I'll be following that too. They, I mean, so yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into, uh, I don't know how much time you have, how much time you got left. Well, we said we're going an hour. I yeah. can go a little bit longer if you need to go. Uh, okay. Then. I don't know. You will do these these episodes. Yeah, I just kind of leave open two hours, and then I didn't want to take up too much of your time because I know you're busy. Um, if you'll give me just a few more minutes, talk about yeah. um, the Dirty Dozen. Can you? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that. Thanks <clears> for the <throat> opportunity. So the Dirty Dozen list is um, a list that Nicosi issues every year. We publish a list of entities that uh, in some way facilitate profit from, normalize, fuel, sexual abuse, and exploitation. These are generally pretty mainstream corporations. Sometimes there will be a government agency on there. We've even listed um, a state government before. So like right now, we have the state of Nevada on the list because they have legalized prostitution in the state of Nevada, and it's just been an unmitigated disaster and resulted in countless trauma to um, so many um, women and girls in, in Nevada. It's so, so crazy to me, Lisa, how many people push back against that. Like on, okay. like I read, you know, I'll read articles and I'll read uh, blogs and all this stuff in the comment section, the amount of uninformed nonsense that gets put out there by people who don't work with women and men who do not see the victims. Like it's, I'm sure it's frustrating to you as well, but yeah. So keep going. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's sad to hear that, but um, there's a lot of victimization and, and trauma and horrible things that are happening to women in legal brothels and outside of them in Nevada. In Nevada, 
I think is, is I believe is fully knows. I don't think they're in the dark about what's happening. So anyway, we're suing the state of Nevada too, in partnership with some others. So yeah. we're trying. To, so we have well, a. I will tell you yeah. this: we have one of our purchased uh, offices is now in Las Vegas. So we just launched Purchase Las Vegas, and so we have a huge uh, human trafficking uh, partnered with a church there, a large church there, um, Hope Church. And so uh, maybe we, maybe offline I'll send you some emails about it and we can connect. But uh, in touch after this, yes, yeah. doing so many great things. Um, so back to the Dirty Dozen list, though. So we we publish this list of a name. Um, these generally they're very big. I mean, in some instances we're taking on the biggest corporations in, that exist in the world, entities like Google, Amazon, Twitter, um, Reddit. I mean, so it's really big companies well-known in the tech sector, you know, companies like Google, you can't get much bigger when you're trying to, you know, tackle uh, a, a, a corporation. For can, a bad you give, can you give some examples of how these, for the average person to understand, like how Google is tied into that, or I think Netflix is on uh, there? Well, you know, part of our issue is that a lot of these corporations, especially in the tech sector, uh, are responsible for creating technologies, and then they never they never take account of risk to to children. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not just like a standard practice, like oh, how are we going to make this safe for kids? It's like it's not even an afterthought. It's like an after 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 afterthought. It's like way down, and even then, it's like you have to you completely raise a, a massive hue and cry for them to pay attention. But the, 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 the really good news is we've had a major, major win with Google. Like our team was just over the moon. We couldn't believe it. Um, so we've been, we've been pressuring Google for years over their Google Chromebooks. So these are devices that are, be given, that are being given out to children in schools. Mm-hmm. They're internet connected. <clears throat> and um, they were not at pre-activating the protective features like right. filters and other mechanisms that could have helped um, increase child safety. They just, you know, drop these, here's school administrators, you figure it out. And, and we're talking like, this can be really, really complicated. Um, I know uh, our CEO met with um, an individual, like somebody, I don't know if it was, here, it was, maybe it was our advocacy director who met with um, somebody from their school to try to help their school figure out how to do it. Two hours later, they were still working at it, yep. trying to figure out how to turn in all these protections on these devices. So it's completely overwhelming to schools. And and for Google, seriously, how hard is it? These are the Writing tech wizards yeah. universe, right? They can handle it. So um, we've been pressuring them to base to default to safety to make it that when you you're not gonna we don't want them to give a single device to a kid that hasn't had these protections activated before it gets in the child's hands and not just to wave it off like oh well it's not our response you know google's saying it's not our responsibility baloney mm-hmm. so um the good news is they are now they have accepted every single one of our recommendations and they will be implementing them, as I understand it, effective this September. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So I know our advocacy team was just over the moon, uh, our corporate advocacy team. And But really, just to back up a minute, like that stuff is not just, it looks like, okay, yeah, Nicosi put them on the list and we're meeting with them. But what really makes a difference is when people engage and when they participate in the Dirty Dozen list, because we create opportunities where the average person can send these corporations emails, or you can post um, graphics on social media, or there's just different ways that we try to create opportunities for the public to engage so that we can create momentum, create the public pressure necessary to get these corporations to change. So I think this this one with Google and Chromebooks is, is truly, epic for us. I mean, yeah. we've had other success. We've had many other successes using this strategy, but um, this is our, you know, one of our, the, the crown yeah. <laughs> for us. No, yeah. that's humongous. I mean, that's so good to hear. It's so great from here to here too, because um, it just adds to the encouragement. Well, in, in a couple layers. One, it encourages me because when I go out and speak, it gives me um, context to give to people to give them hope. And to say, hey, look, this the people are actually fighting this on a ma- major level, and and 
and from a Christian perspective, like God is for this and for healing and for safety in people's lives. And, um, Google can't win that, you know, like, um, and so that's super encouraging. And then the other is just to remind people that we all are a part of this, that yeah, people, people getting online and sharing and, and us doing this podcast and informing people, um, people's voices do get heard and the good guys can win. Uh, so I'm so proud of you and y'all, you guys for all the awesome work you're doing because it's easy for everybody to sit around and complain and be frustrated, you know, but somebody's got to do something about it. Well, you know, and, and really I'm so grateful Clint for this opportunity because like what you're doing is so part of the solution. And, you know, we all, we're all coming, we have to come together the, there are good people left in this world. There are people who care about children left in this world. And if we unite, if we come together, um, we can we can win. Like you were saying, we can win against entities like Google. Um, we can hold foreign companies like MindGeek accountable and bring them down. Like they're they're on the ropes. Like there's there's talk that they might not you know that they're they're having financial problems now. Pornhub, just like the was just second biggest pornography company in the world. Uh, and we've, they're like tottering, you know, like they're, they're being exposed. So there's some really exciting things happening. I will say it's a bit crazy. The momentum is nuts, like trying to keep up pace. And there's so many different places where harm is entering in or baked in to um, various platforms and and, and some actors just do not want to play, you know, they, they're not interested in reforming. And so I think we've, we do have some really hard work ahead with entities, you know, like Amazon and, and Reddit. Can you, and can you this, tell me about Amazon, what they're doing? Well, for instance, they have this platform called um, <clears throat> um, Twitch. Yes, yeah, Twitch. Okay, I didn't know Amazon on Twitch. Yeah, so all kinds of stuff is exploitation stuff is happening on Twitch. Oh yeah, and for sure. So is you know what's Amazon doing about it? What's Amazon? Why is it even possible? Why wasn't this like thought of before they even rolled out Twitch and and protective mechanism, protective devices, um, filter, whatever you need to do to protect? Why wasn't that baked in? Why didn't they default to safety for kids? Yeah, I think the big the big power switch there is for kids. You know, we could get into a whole bunch of arguments about adults and what they have the right to do and don't have to do. But I think when you're selling something that children are going to have access to and be on in the world that we now know, um, you've got to be preventative. You know, you can't come out and not even think about it and then have to look back and go, oh, yeah, we didn't think about the fact that these children who had these phones. But like we everybody's done it. You know, that's when I'm teaching parents, parenting conferences. It's like, you know, parents got their their first cell phone. And then they upgraded and got their second one and then they handed their first one to their kid. And now we've been on, you know, off to the races and it's only been a decade. Like it's only been 10, I got a smartphone 10 years ago and now I'm like, you know, that's insane. It seems like I've only lived my life with access to all these things. It's crazy town. Well, look, I don't want to take up any more of your time. This has been super encouraging and helpful. And I hope that um, listeners can check you guys out um, in sexual exploitation.org Nicosi National Center on Sexual Exploitation. This is Lisa Thompson, one of the VPs and director of research. Um, Lisa, I'd love to keep talking to you for hours, but um, I'm going to email you and hopefully we can connect. Um, yeah, that would be awesome, Clint. I'd really enjoy it. It was it was really a pleasure speaking with you. Good. And then uh, if there's anything we can do here and help with, I mean, um, I'm in the process of kind of writing some curriculum and, and my biggest push, I mean, I'm a Christian. And so my biggest push is to educate the church, um, to, to help the church change the t- statistics within the church and, and, um, and see that Jesus was all about saving children, all about rescuing those that are weak and that are outcast and that, that those that are exploited. And so if we don't model that as a church, then, you know, the world's not going to get behind it. And so, um, I'm currently, you know, kind of writing some trainings and stuff like that. So I'd love to pull together resources, but you guys give you whatever I can give you that I'm coming up with and then pull from a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'm learning from y'all and keeping up with through Facebook or, uh, and you know, social media that I keep up with you guys and your website. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you for what you're doing and the opportunity to 
collaborate with you here in this space and just all the best on all your efforts. I'm just, you, you wear me out just hearing all the stuff that you're doing. Hey, uh, hey you, you wear part. me out. I'm, I'm like, Oh my gosh. You, you know, when you went through the list, I'm like trying to write them down real quick. So I, I feel you. It, <laughs> it's, it's a battle though. And you know, I always say I have, I don't know if, do you have kiddos? Do I have what? Do you have kiddos? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. So I have two boys who are six and a half and three and a half and they, they motivate me the most because I always say, I don't want to look back in 10 years and have to apologize to them. You know, I don't want to say, Hey, Grady Jude, you know, I knew this stuff was going on. I knew this was the world you were going into, but you know, I was making decent money and things were good. So I just kind of enjoyed our time and chilled out. You know, I, you know, I want to be present. I'm a very present dad as busy as I am. I, you know, try to keep it between eight and five and, and not on the weekends, but I also go, man, there's, there's a world out there that's coming that no one's prepared for. And if we don't keep fighting against it, then we're just going to be apologizing later. And I just don't want to do that, you know? And so we work really diligently with our kids to, to be safe and, and, uh, to know how to work with their bodies and how, how to do all those things. And, and also just have monitoring devices on my devices and our devices at home and try to teach our friends and try to help them. And it's uncomfortable, but we got to keep fighting this fight together as a community um, because we can't do it by ourselves. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, thank y'all for listening. You can visit their website. I'll, I'll list all that stuff and like, and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you're listening to. And, uh, God bless you guys. Thank you so much.